We are over in Acts chapter 14, picking up over at uh, verse 7. We'll go back just a little bit just to catch this up. But the, uh, the folks, Paul and Barnabas, they were over in the city. And, uh, of course, uh, people came over and poisoned their minds. And so they left there. And verse 4 says, But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the, Jew, the Gentiles and the Jews... With their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia, and to the surrounding region. And they were, and they were preaching the gospel there. So that's how they came to preach in, in this area. In verse 8, And in Lystra, a certain man, we all know what that means when we hear about a certain man. There is something significant coming from him. A certain man without strength in his feet was sitting a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. Now, we ran into this before in the book of Acts. We saw some, there were going to be some similarities, but some uh, differences with this as well. So he comes in here and he begins to preach, and here's this opportunity where this man is sitting there. He's crippled from his mother's womb. He had never walked. If you never walked, you never learned to develop the coordination to walk. This man heard Paul speaking. He's hearing Paul speaking about the, the gospel, about faith, about Jesus. The man at the gate did not hear that. The man at the gate was expecting to receive something more in line with the, like money. This man was listening and his faith was being built up. This man heard Paul speaking, Paul observing him intently. There are some people that when they're listening to the things you're saying about God, they're just listening different than other people are. And you'll, you'll tend to focus on them. You'll be tend to, to draw drawn to them. Just understand that you're going to be speaking the Word of God to a lot of people. Some people are going to listen. Some people are going to half-heartedly listen. And some people are not going to listen at all. It's not always on you. A lot of times it's on them. But here's this one. He was listening intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed. So as he's listening and hearing about the things of Jesus, his faith is being built up. And while he is sitting there laying the Word of God describes, this is the Word of God describing him. The Word of God describes him as having faith to be healed. Is he? How is it that we can have faith to be healed and not be? Don't we most times when we see people that are not healed, we think that our faith has to grow? Something has to happen to our faith? The man has faith to be healed. Is the Word of God right? Would the Word of God put it in there if it's not, if it's not so? Paul, observing him intently and seeing. I think that's amazing. He sees that the man has faith to be healed. He's, he's, he's not just casually observing him. He's, he's observing him intently. He's going on, he's teaching, and he keeps being drawn to this man. And he's seeing that in this man, there is faith to be healed. There is faith to be, to be worked with there. So Paul says with a loud voice. You're going to say with a loud voice you're probably wanting more people than just that one person to hear it. Paul doesn't care that everybody around hears it. He says in a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. Stand up straight on your feet. Now this has to come to him too from the Spirit of God. He, he can see he's got faith to be healed. I'm sure Paul's talking with God. What should we do with this man? Should we call him up? Should we, what should we do? And up in his spirit says, Tell him to stand up straight on his feet. And so Paul does that. Out of his mouth comes, stand up straight on your feet. Now, if you are a person who has been born lame, 
has never walked and a person you never met before comes into a meeting and tells you to stand up straight, what are you going to do? <laughs> but this man has developed faith to be healed. How long did it take for him to develop that faith? About as long as this meeting took. Right? Because Paul is going into places where there is no, nobody has taken the gospel before. Isn't that Paul's goal? Paul wants to go to places where no one has taken the gospel before. He's going to places where there is no gospel. The Jewish people are there, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is not. So this man hasn't heard about Jesus until Paul comes. Paul comes in and starts teaching him. So the man went from not knowing about Jesus to having faith to be healed in the span time of a meeting. Maybe a couple of meetings. More than likely just uh, one or maybe, it may have been one or two before that, but it's early on in his time at this place. Doesn't exactly tell us how long. But he says to him, stand up straight onto your feet. And what do you think he does? And he leaped. <laughs> he didn't just stand up. He leaped. There's a difference between being a little nervous and trying to stand up and leaping. The man who was at the beautiful gate, Paul reached down and grabbed him. And then the man leaped. Did say the man leaped. But Paul reached down and grabbed him. No one's grabbing this guy. Paul just says, stand up straight on your feet. And the man does it. So the man had faith to be healed, but he's lame. So what changed? Something had to change. His, his faith did not change, right? Didn't he have the same faith before as after? Because Paul said, Paul describes him. The Word of God describes him. He had faith to be healed. If he had faith to be healed, that doesn't need to change. He's got what he needs. So, But there's something changed. Something went on that was different. The man who was in front of the beautiful gate, he was in a place where he's expecting to receive something. Did he receive it yet? No. Not until he leaped and he received his healing. He was expecting to receive something. Until we put our faith into action, it's dormant. You can have all the faith in the world until you do something with it. Peter could have faith to walk on water until he stepped out of the boat. He's not walking. You can have faith to cast out demons until you cast out a demon, until you pick a fight with one. They're not going anywhere. You can have faith to be healed until you act on it. There is no difference. Too often we're sitting around trying to build up our faith instead of acting on the faith that we have. Jesus does not teach that you need to have great faith, does he? He teaches us that if you have faith, it's the size of a mustard seed. You can say to this mountain, be moved, be cast into the sea. See, you have the faith and then you say. You have the faith and then you act. We've got to put more of what we have faith in into action and we'll see a difference. We're waiting still for things to change. We're waiting still for things to, to alter. And we've got we to gotta act like that. Brother Hagin used to tell us this story when he was down on the... If you ever haven't read that in a while, it's sometimes just good to go back, go pick up that uh, book, I Believe in Visions, and hear his healing account. When he finally got it settled down on the inside of him that I'm healed, the Word of God came to him. Well, people don't stay in bed until...
the afternoon. So he got up. Well, people don't stay in bed. Well, they don't, do they? You see, a lot of times we have faith to be healed, but our, with our mouth we keep saying, well, I can't do that yet, but I will. Well, I can't do this. No, we need to get into a place where we, I can. I can do that thing. Because faith without works is dead. It's not doing you any good. Just like this man, he's got faith to be healed, but he's still lame. The woman with the issue of blood had faith to be healed, but she's still sick. When did it change? When she acted on it. Now, here's the thing. Each of these cases, they had something specific to act on. A lot of Christians are just kind of moseying on through, waiting for some undefined thing to do. The woman with the issue of blood, she defined what it is that she needed to do, didn't she? No one came and told her. That's why we were spending that time on the re- getting a revelation. If we only understood the power of revelation, if God speaks to you a revelation and you act on it, there's unbelievable power in that. Unbelievable power. What you need to do is get that revelation. If you don't get a direct revelation from God, that's why we spend some more time on Sunday mornings going over how to develop it yourself. And we looked at people who, like the woman with the issue of blood, no angel showed up. What did she do? She heard about Jesus. And she developed the plan of action. If I just touch the hem of his garment, I know I shall be healed. Blind Bartimaeus, no angel showed up. But he simply said, if I see Jesus, I know I can get in front of him and I know I'll be healed. When I see Jesus, this is what I'm going to say. He thought about it. What am I going to say? If Jesus came on by, what would I say? He didn't, th- he didn't apparently think about it too much. When he heard Jesus was coming by, he went right into action. Because this man had a plan. If I see Jesus, I am going to say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That's his plan. <laughs> as soon as he was able to act on it, he had faith to be healed. But as soon as he was able to act on his plan, you need to develop a plan. What is it that your faith needs? If you don't get a plan from the Spirit of God revealing something to you, if you don't get a plan by an angel or some kind of a supernatural thing showing up and and giving you that plan, as we saw examples of in the Word of God, then you need to develop it from the Word of God, as people did. The, the, The man who had the four friends got lowered down. They had a plan. We need to get our buddy in front of the man of God. That's what we need to do. We need to get him in front there. Well, we can't. We can't get into the building. We need to get our buddy in front of the man of God. How can we do it? Well, maybe we can go up to the roof. <laughs> they had a plan. They acted on the plan. Jesus saw their faith. They had a plan and acted on it. Do you have a plan on how you're going to receive the thing that you need to receive? Do you know how, to, how it's going to come about? You need to have that plan from the Word of God. What do you need to do? What is it that needs to to go on? Have that plan and then stay with it. Don't quit. Stay with it. And he leaped and walked. A lot of people, again, they would have missed the awesome moment here. They would have had an awkward one or even potentially awful. It would would have not been the right thing. When he spoke those words, when was the time to obey? Right away. Not five seconds later. Not ten seconds later. The time to do it was then. And the man did it. He listened. 
He developed faith. He was given a plan of action. Stand up on your feet. And he did. Stood up on his feet. He leaped and walked. Again, he never walked before. Never had walked before. Remember the first time you rode a bicycle? Never rode a bike before. Did it take a little while to learn how to do that? Did it take a little while to learn how to drive a car? <laughs> it takes a little while. Uh, people who go out and uh, dance, you don't just uh, learn how to dance, do you? You take classes and, and things like that to, to learn how to dance. You got to get that coordination. Well, you got to get that coordination for walking. Apparently, he bypassed all that. He leaped and he walked. And that, uh, that impressed some people. <laughs> I mean, you can understand this would impress some people. Now, when the people saw what Paul had done, they see this as something that Paul had done, not Barnabas, but Paul. Because Paul was the one who spoke it. They raised their voices saying in like Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Now, everyone was bilingual in this part of the world. You had your language and you had the Greek language. So if you're from the area, you, you tend to fall back on whatever language you know, whatever language your native language was. Some people say that's why Jesus spoke in uh, Aramaic at the end. He went back to his native language and not the, uh, not the other one that he, was, that he had been speaking in. So everyone here knew Greek. Paul knew Greek. They could communicate with each other in Greek. But they went back to this other language and they began to speak it. Have you ever been in a place where there's a whole lot of folks either in a different country or in this country, but a whole lot of people who speak the same language and you don't speak that one? Either you get around a whole lot of Italian people and they're all speaking Italian. You get around a whole lot of French people and they're all speaking French. You get around a whole lot of Spanish people and they're all speaking Spanish. Whatever it might be, when they start going off, what do you do? Do you frown? What do we usually do? People are speaking another language. Don't we usually smile and just kind of nod? Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't understand a thing that's going on here, but all right. But don't you usually smile? And you know, you just kind of look happy and I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what you guys are saying. So put yourself in Paul's shoes. These people start going around in a language he doesn't understand. Paul is not multilingual in that he knows all languages all over the place. He knows Greek. He knows his language. Might know a few others. But he probably does not know this language. No reason for him to. They say the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes. Because he was the chief speaker. Then the priests of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. So Paul and Barnabas don't know what they're planning. Because they're speaking in their own language. And so when they start calling them gods and they start making these plans to sacrifice to them, they're probably just standing around there smiling. Yeah, <laughs> I guess they're pretty excited. What do you think, Barnabas? <laughs> they're enjoying what the Spirit of God's doing. Yeah, I guess they are. They're, they're real excited about what God is doing over here. And, uh, and they're all busy doing stuff and all they can tell is they're excited. You know, if you got somebody and they're, they're Spanish and they get excited, you can tell they're excited, but you don't know what they're saying. Unless you know Spanish. So they were intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. They even brought the uh, priest over from, the, from Zeus, his temple. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? 
We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all the things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Well, you're coming in here trying to teach them to get away from paganism, to get away from these other gods and to serve the God, and you find out after a little bit of time that the whole while they saw you as their gods that they had been serving and not the God. That's kind of got to be a little deflating to you. Man, this is we're getting abused over here in this city. We come over here. Now they look at us as pagan gods and we've kind of reinforced their pagan religion. This is not what we wanted to do. And so they come out there and they plead with them that they would not do that. He says, Who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Wow. I mean, what an intense time. They do not want them sacrificed. I mean, they're thinking, God's going to be upset at this. God's not going to be liking them sacrificing to us. Not that these God's going to get mad at Paul and Barnabas. They know that God knows that they're not trying to, to set this up. But this is going against the purpose of what they came there for. But they're so excited about what has gone on and the power that they saw demonstrated that this is what they, they want to do. I put this in your outline that when, uh, when the people saw, this is what they, when they people saw, they saw what Paul, what, what God had done through Paul, but they saw it as what Paul had done. They saw this. When we see with our eyes, or what we see with our eyes moves us emotionally. What we see with our eyes moves us emotionally. If you see a picture of a nice sunset, what's that do? Does that move you emotionally? There's a, there's a moving that's there. If you, if you see something, uh, an automobile accident, and you're driving by, does that move you in an emotional way? moves you into a negative uh, emotion. We can see different things that have gone on and it moves us emotionally. What we see with our spirit establishes us spiritually. What we see with our eyes moves us emotionally. What we see with our spirit establishes us spiritually. Where do most people spend their time? With what their eyes see. And they become emotionally based. Even Christians tend to focus on what their eyes see. We need to see with our spirit. What we see with our spirit, what is revealed. When Peter got that revelation, who, are him, who am I? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. What we see with our spirit establishes us spiritually. That's what you get established on. The more we focus on what we see with our eyes, the more emotionally based we will be and the more fickle we will become. We have to learn to go beyond that. Take you to a story in the Old Testament. Elisha is in the city of Dothan. The army surrounds the city and his servant looks out at the army and says, we're doomed. And Elisha's fine. He's cool with it. He says, oh, don't worry about it. Those that are with us are more than those that are with them. 
but the servant could only see them. Elisha could see those that are with us. He didn't see it with his physical eyes. He saw it with his spirit. And so he was established. And so his prayer was, Father, open up his eyes that he may see. And his eyes were opened and he saw the host of, of angels all around the city. And now that he saw that with his eyes, he was established, right? Not spiritually. He was still dependent on what he saw with his eyes. He was still emotionally based. Even though he saw into the spirit realm, he still was an emotionally based person. We have to get out of that. Elijah goes up on the mountain with all the prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth. And they begin to make a ruckus. And he just sits over there calmly. He's established. Why? Because he has seen this thing play out in the spirit. He's not just up there shooting from the hip. He's seen this thing play out in the spirit. He has seen the fire come down from heaven. In his spirit, he's seen this. Fire coming down from heaven. So he can douse it with water. He can do all sorts of stuff. He can mock them. And he's completely at ease. Because he's established spiritually. We've got to get out of what we see with our eyes. We see things with our eyes and we look at certain diseases and certain things. Well, that's, that's too much. No, don't, don't, don't be doing that. The stories that you can go through the Word of God and just emphasize this are just uh, ama uh, they're amazing. You remember the, uh, the Word came to the prophet when they were eating uh, the heads of goats and horses and um, killing babies for food and, and stuff like that in the city of Samaria because of the siege. And Elisha says, this time tomorrow, let's say a flower will sell for this and a bushel of wheat will sell for this. And the man who heard it said, would the heavens, the, the windows of heaven open up? How could that be? And so the prophet says to him, well, you're going to hear about it, but you're not going to see it. And when the news came that the enemy had fled and left all that stuff as people went stampeding out there to get the food, this man was uh, stampeded over and he didn't see it. The prophet was settled on what God was doing. He saw it in the spirit. We've got to get to ourselves to that place where we can see it in the spirit and we become settled if we learn how to, how to get ourselves in that place. What we see with our eyes moves us emotionally. What we see with our spirit establishes us spiritually. If you are moved emotionally one way, you can be moved emotionally the other. Just as quickly. You are not established. You are moved. That's not something we want to, want to get in there. So with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain them. Uh, apparently they did eventually. And they, uh, they quit trying to, trying to do that. But it doesn't end there. The, then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there and having persuaded the multitudes. Now we'll probably have to wait till we get to heaven again to find out about this. But when do you think the Jews ever came from Antioch and Iconium to Derby to minister to the people there? we have any indication that ever happened before? No. So why are they there? Are they there for the people? They're there to get Paul and Barnabas. 
But they sell the people on the fact that we're here for you. <laughs> we're here to help you out. They uh, talk with the people. And having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. So this guy they were going to sacrifice to, who had just healed a man who was lame from his mother's womb, they'd never seen anything like this before. They're ready to sacrifice him one day. And shortly after that, they're ready to stone him. They're persuaded. Because they depend on what they see. As long as we depend on what we see, we are this fickle. Christian or non-Christian. Jew or Gentile. It makes no difference. As long as we depend on what we see with our eyes, we will always be this fickle. And this is not just for non-Christians in this day and age. I see Christians all the time. They are so dependent on what they see. One day they're all up on this and the next day it is changed because they are not established. They are swayed by the wind. They are moved by the waves. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city. They stoned him first. Then they dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Now this word supposing is an interesting word. It means to consider, regard, suppose, think, believe. It's used 15 times in the New Testament. It is used 15 times in the New Testament. Namizo. Weiss puts this thing this way. They dragged him out of the city thinking he had died. Now, we, we, we look at this and we say, well, they supposed he was dead. They, well, I looked at him. Yeah, he looks dead. But that's not exactly what happened. Let's take a look at some of these uh, occurrences. Here in Matthew chapter 20 in verse 8. I only put four in here. Four of the 15. They're all kind of fun. So I just gave you four so we're not spending all night on it. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages. This is the parable that Jesus told. Beginning with the last to the first. And when they came, when they came who were, when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. You remember the story? They were hired at different times in the day. And, but the one, when the first came, the people that were hired at the, early, the earliest part of the day, who were hired for the wage of a denarius. Everyone else was just hired for a fair wage. But the first ones were hired for the wage of a denarius. They supposed that they would receive more. And they likewise received each a denarius. Well, they were told they would receive a denarius. But did they just drum up an idea in their head? No, what they did was they saw, well, he paid them a denarius. Something changed. He paid them a denarius for an, an hour. He paid them a denarius for a cup. We've been here all day. Surely they will pay us more because we have accomplished more. We have done more. So they're basing it on something. It's not just pulled out of a hat. Luke chapter 2, verse 43. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. If you have a child, your firstborn child, we don't know how many child children they have at this point, but if we know they had others at other times, so they had more than just Jesus. But if you have a child, are you just, well, he's probably around here somewhere. Do you not base it on something a little bit more than that? But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. 
there was a supposing that was there, but it's based on something. They didn't just leave Jesus. They didn't just not think about Jesus. They supposed that he was over there with the other company. They came to find out that it wasn't so. In Acts chapter 7, verse 25, For he supposed that his brethren would have understood, speaking to Moses, that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. (laughs) So Moses gets the call from God, and he supposes that his brethren understand that he's the called one. He's basing that on something, isn't it? I mean, he's not just pulling it out of a hat. He's got to be thinking, well, if God has spoken to me, certainly God has spoken to them. (laughs) Acts chapter 16, verse 27. And the keeper of the prison, awakened from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Well, if you are the keeper of a prison... And you wake up and all the prison doors are open. The place is quiet. What are you supposing? Are you basing it on nothing? No, the prison doors need to be closed because the prisoners don't want to stay in. (laughs) If the doors open up, what are the prisoners going to do? They're going to leave. Now, here's the thing about this word. Every single time this word is used, it is used because someone thinks One thing is true, but in actuality, another is. Every time this word is used, this word is not used by the people in that they were thinking about this particular word. Or we're going to think that he was dead, but, you know, possibly he's not. That's not the the way they're, they're looking back on the story and they're telling it. They thought, they supposed, they looked at the situation and surmised he was dead. But actually, that wasn't the case. Now, he may have been dead at the time, but he came back. So that's how this word is is used in the Bible, in the 15 times. If you want to have some fun, you can use your quick verse or something else. You can look up this word and uh, check out all the rest of them. But we can go on here. They, They stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, so they they stoned him to the point that they thought he was dead. This is not their first stoning. They've stoned people before. Then after they stoned him, they dragged him out. There's interaction between them and the body. That interaction, some, something is telling them this boy is dead. He is not there. <laughs> they uh, may have uh, taken a pulse. They, whatever it was that they did, they did something. When you go out and you stone a person, I'm sure you don't just stone until, well, they look dead. You know, that if you hang a person, you hang them until they're dead. There's, there's things that you do to make sure that they're dead before you take them down. I'm sure that there's things that you do when you're stoning a person before you stop throwing the stones. I don't know what it is. I never stoned a person. But I'm sure that they had some things to, to do. When they crucified a person, how did they make, did they just say, well, he looks dead. Did they do that? No, they came over and they checked them. Make sure if they're not dead yet, they would break the legs if they needed to hurry up the process. When they came to Jesus, they didn't have to break his legs. So they make sure he was dead. They used a spear and they stabbed the side and out came blood and a mixture of blood and water. I told them that he was dead. So they're not supposing. They have ways of of finding this out and checking this this thing out. But um, he came back. So 
if you come back, I guess you weren't dead. They stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. In other words, Paul's body gave every indication that he was dead. They dragged him out of the city, and then they went back into the city. The Jews who had came there from these other places probably went back home. Because all they came here for was to get rid of Paul. That was it. They don't care about the people. They came to get rid of Paul. Probably made some promises. Yeah, we'll come back. We'll help you out with this. But they don't mean to keep any of that. They just wanted to get rid of Paul. And then Paul was dead. Paul was gone. However, when the disciples gathered around him. Now, the disciples are gathering around. If you are gathering around Paul, who's laying on the ground, what do the disciples think? He's dead. If they thought he was alive, if he gave indication that he was alive, what would they have done? Picked him up and would have cared for him. You would, have, you would do something to help him out. But somehow the disciples who loved him felt every bit as much as the people who hated him that he was dead. And so they gathered around to look at on. Man, Paul is dead. <laughs> they're all gathered around. They're, they're looking. They're not acting. They're, they're looking. Because you've you got to get the idea here. They think he is dead. He has given them the indication that he's dead. They probably went up to him, checked him out, saw maybe his body was getting cold. Whatever it was, they, they felt like he was dead. If, he was, if they did not think he was dead, they liked Paul. <laughs> if they didn't think he was dead, wouldn't they have done something besides gathered around? You don't just gather around a guy that you like. You know what? He's bleeding. Somebody probably ought to patch that up a little bit there. <laughs> maybe we ought to get some blankets and put it on. Nobody's doing that. However, the disciples gathered around him. He rose up and went into the city. He just rose up. So he's just laying there. And then all of a sudden, he moves. And he gets up. I mean, talk about understatement. This is an understated story right here. And if you're the disciples, you're gathered around a dead guy. And all of a sudden, he gets up. This is something. This is something. And then he goes back into the city. <laughs> now, he goes back into the city. Now, this will probably tell you, again, we'll have to wait till we get to heaven to find this out. This will probably tell you this was not a five-minute deal. He's probably laying out there for a little while. I think it was almost enough time for the, for the Jews to go on home. And then he comes back into the city because the people that were stirred up were just being swayed. That's all. They're just being swayed. The Jews, they came to stir them up. They're just, they're just nasty people. But the other people, they were being swayed. And so Paul walks into the city. Well, he goes, y'all tried to kill me. Here I am. <laughs> Here I, that's got to make a statement. This is the guy you are ready to make a God because he took somebody who was lame and raised them up. And now you killed him and he walks back into the city. <laughs> a, a few days ago, you thought he was a God. Now he was dead, and now he just walked back into your city. What are you thinking now? <laughs> Man, that's, <laughs> you're, I don't think you're touching them. I don't think you're leaving, I don't think anybody's gonna be able to stir you up because you're, again, you're swayed by what you see. I just saw a dead man. He's walked into our city. So Paul comes into the city, and he stays there overnight. <laughs> he stays there overnight. He departs the next day, and he goes to Barnabas to, to Derby. What an event. What an astounding thing. Now, if you were John Mark, and this happened, 
If you hadn't left already, you would certainly be leaving now. You'd be be out of there. But he's already gone before I got this bad. And uh, and Paul, he's ready to go on to the next city. Let's go. We got another another city to do. We got another thing to, to go on. Now, you remember that Paul talks about how he was called up into heaven? Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, he says. That could have happened when he was away uh, before Barnabas had come and gotten him. Some people actually think it happened on this day. And when he was dead, he was called up into heaven. And he was given some of these unspeakable things. And then, uh, now it could have because he's not writing all the, the uh, intricacies of the New Testament just yet, is he? We're on the first missionary journey. The letters he wrote about all the intricacies of the New Testament, the workings of such, of the church and so forth, that happened when he started writing letters to the churches that he's starting now. It could have. We don't know when it was. It could have happened before. But that is a interesting thing. Certainly, uh, if he was dead, he was in heaven. It's convenient. He's there. And uh, whether it was, you know, 10 minutes, half hour, couple hours that he was uh, dead on the ground, God can do a lot in a little bit of time. You get caught up in heaven, he can give you a whole whole uh, rundown of things and you, just a couple of minutes have gone on by. So next, the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. So Derby was basically as far on the, the, the uh, missionary journey as they were going to go and now they're working their way back. Which is kind of astounding because these people are still upset at you. These ones that have stirred up people. And where did they come from? The cities he's going back to. He's going right back to the cities that the people were upset at. He's going right back to the city that stoned them. They're going right back to the cities where the people came from to stir up the people who stoned them. He's going right back into those cities again. That's a gutsy guy. But many disciples were made in Derby. And not a whole, we're not, we don't hear about a whole lot of problems. The last two cities, we've had some major problems going on. You get to Derby, we have no problems. Look at the, look what happens. And when they preached the gospel in that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra. Any problems there? Well, more than likely, if you've just been stoned, and you show up the next day in a city, how many of y'all know you got some, you got some marks? Have you ever shown up in a crowd and you got a cut on your face? What do people do? How did that happen? What happened with that? What if you got enough cuts that you just were stoned? You know, when you're being stoned, they're probably aiming at visible parts like heads and things like that. And your head's probably got a lot of cuts on it. And some bruises. So you don't look... I'm sure he can't look all that good. He comes on into the sea. What happened to you? Well, they stoned me in the last city. (laughs) Would they stop early? No, no, no. They uh, they killed me. God raised me up. Brought me here. And they probably uh, had some other people. That I, I watched. I saw it. They stoned. I thought he was dead. And he walked back in the next day. If you've got a story like that coming from him, you got any problems? Probably have no problems at all. He's probably got as easy a time in Derby as Jonah had in his city. Because he was spit out of a whale. <laughs> That's not ever died that a prophet is delivered by a whale, big fish, whatever it was that, that, uh, that brought him. And you're just out there on the beach fishing. And here comes this big old fish. And he spits out a guy who's been inside the fish for three days. He don't look so good being inside the fish for three days. And he was probably dead too. And he comes home back and 
life comes back in him and he goes back into the city to preach. And you go back in and it says, this, he, he was just spit up on the shore. And so that's what gave Jonah such an easy time in Nineveh is uh, because of his disobedience and being swallowed by a fish and being brought into the city that way. And Paul just got stoned. <laughs> he comes on in and this opens up the door, the door in Derby. He's got no trouble in Derby at all. Nobody's messing with him. Nobody's stirring up the city. Nobody's trying to sacrifice to him. We don't have any trouble in Derby at all. They, they, they hear the gospel. Yeah, all right, we want to get in on that. And many disciples come about in Derby. So if you want to have good success in the city, get stoned in the previous one, raised up, and then go into the next city, you'll have a good time. <laughs> there's, your, there's your recipe right there for, from Acts chapter 14. When they had preached the gospel to the city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples. So they got them born again when they were there. They went away. Then they came on back and they strengthened them. These folks were studying the Word of God. They probably came up with some questions. They uh, had some things to ask about how they were supposed to live out that life. So they came on back and they strengthened them. They helped them out. Exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying... We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Well, I guess he could say that. <laughs> He's already gone through quite a few tribulations. And if they go through some tribulations, they can just think, well, look at what Paul did to bring the gospel to us. So when they had appointed elders in every church, these are not elders as we think of elders, these are pastors. He went on through and he, he appointed pastors. So what he did was he went through the first time, got a lot of people born again, went on over to these other places, when he came back, he looked for those who rose up as leaders from those who were born again. Those who had that anointing on them to be pastors, those that God would show him that they needed to be the pastors of the church. And they anointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting. So by the time they came on through, every church they established had a pastor. And they didn't leave until each church had a pastor. That was the, that's what they're talking about here. We see elders and we think, you know, the, the people that are underneath the pastor to help. No, this is, this is the pastor. This is the one you gotta do. Once you have the pastor in there, then he can start putting everybody else into place. But they needed to, to point them. So they appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting. They commanded them to the Lord, commanded them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended, uh, commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. So they completed the work. They did what they were set out to do. They set out on a mission. They went to the cities that they had planned on. They came on back. They strengthened all the brethren. They came on back to Antioch. And look at what it says here in, in uh, verse 27. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them. You want to have a good testimony time? I wish all Christians could get a hold of this. If you want to have a good testimony time, talk about what God did, not what the devil did. Too often Christians get together, they have testimony time, they spend 90% talking, this is what Brother Hanyus always, always tell us, 90% talking about what the devil did, 10% talking about what God did. <laughs> don't, do, don't do that. Talk about what God did. Don't talk about what the devil did. That's the uh, the better one. You think of some of those testimonies? They went on and on and on about what the devil did. All we're doing when we do that is we're talking about how good we were because we endured. We're bragging on us. We're not bragging on God. 
You want to brag on God, which is what testimony time is? Talk about what God did. Don't talk about what the enemy did. You're glorifying the enemy when you do that. You make the enemy bigger in people's minds. That's terrible to come out of a testimony time thinking about how big the enemy is. You should be coming out of thinking about how big God is. <laughs> That's what we ought to be doing. Now, when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that He had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Well, there's apparently a lot of work there to do in Antioch. They stayed there a long time. We're not told what a long time is, but they stayed there a long time before they went out on the second missionary journey. And before they do the second missionary journey, we got some other business they're going to take care of in chapter 15. I got some things to, to, uh, to do there. But what a first, first journey. This is where Paul and Barnabas, this is their, uh, their time together. And some good things happen. We're going to have more detail on some of the other missionary journeys that they do. But we get some things on, on this one. They're going to go back. They're going to go through some of these, these uh, regions again. They're going to go out into some new ones. But uh, for now, they're, they're back at home and in the city of Antioch. In a little while, they're going to go back down to Jerusalem, take care of some uh, doctrinal issues. But for now, we're, we're finishing up on, on this one. Well, as we get here to the end, fickle people are not the result of what you have ministered. Sometimes we see fickle people and we think it's my fault. It's your fault. Uh, how is it that I've talked with these people? How is it that I've tried to help these people? I've been ministering to them at work. I've been ministering to them at home. I've been ministering to them where I can. And they just seem to be so fickle. That's not necessarily a reflection on you. Don't, don't look at it that way. Fickle people are not the result of what you have ministered, but a result of what they build their foundation on. You can't control what people build their foundation on. You can try and encourage them to go in the right direction. If Paul has this problem, <laughs> and Jesus, didn't Jesus have this problem? Didn't he have some people that were with him this week and against them the next week? Fickle people. They are a result of what they build their foundation on, either what is seen or what is revealed. We need to build our, our foundation on what is revealed, not on what is seen. Jesus says an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. They want to see something. The true believers, the true disciples, want things to be revealed. That's where we need to be. So the same is true for us. Focus on what is revealed. Or focus on what is seen. Too often Christians get all excited when they see a move of God, when they see miracles, they don't get excited nearly as much as when they sit and listen to the Word and the Spirit of God speaks revelation to them and they have things that are revealed. That's actually more settling, more beneficial, and more helpful than all the miracles you could ever see. Because what you see will only bring you about to being fickle. doesn't mean you don't see things, but you can't base anything on it. Your foundation is based on what is revealed. The more that you get in that, the better it is. How often does Jesus speak out of what is revealed? When he, the woman with the, uh, at, the, at the well, he speaks to her based on what is revealed. When he talks to the Pharisees and the Sadducees about their attitudes and things of, that they're thinking, he is speaking about what the Spirit of God has revealed to him about them. When he ministers to his disciples and Jesus, understanding their thoughts, says to them, 
He speaks to them, teaches them based on what is revealed. That's where we need to get to. To a place where we are moved more by what is revealed than by what we see. Great place to be. Sometimes it looks like it's hard to get there, but we can get there. We can do that. What we see moves us so much. But we need to get to a place where we don't get moved by what we see. I get moved by what is revealed. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. That we become settled, established in our walk with you. Moved more by what is revealed than by what is seen. Thank you for the help that you give us on that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.